what would you do if you weren't afraid? In 1998, Dr. Spencer Johnson wrote a book entitled, Who Moved My Cheese? Um, now, it was written for business people, but it also can be used in any other area of your life, in my opinion. I read that book when I was like 20 years old. But the best quote from that entire book was, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I had a pastor to ask me that. It was right after I got saved. I'd probably been saved for about two years. He said, Nor, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I'm like, well, what wouldn't I do? It would be, it's endless, the possibilities, because I wouldn't be scared. And he said, here, listen to this. And it was on an audio book, so I listened to it. And it centers, it's a short 32-page book that ended up on the bestsellers list during that time. And it centers around a maze, two rats named Sniff and Scurry, and then two people as a human metaphor named Him and Haw. Now, when I was little, I would always hear that expression growing up, quit hemming and hawing, you know, quit dragging, you need to get a move on. That's, so, anyway. And the cheese in this is what that thing is that you're after, that thing that you're chasing, that thing that'll have you running around in circles, that thing that'll have you going here, whatever it is that you're after, whether it be something in your career, something in your family life, something in ministry, whatever it is that's got you driving, that's a driving force, whatever it is you're hunting, well, Sniff and Scurry, the two, the two mice in this story, they found, they found some cheese along with him and Hall. They all found some. All right, well, the two mice knew that, you know what, this supply isn't going to last forever. This is a temporary fix. So eventually this is going to run out. Eventually this is going to be an empty little corner over here. So I've, we've got to find more cheese. So they decided, you know, okay, so they started moving along moving through the corridors of this maze, had no idea where they were going, but they knew that they needed a supply. They knew that they were chasing that one thing, so they had to find that cheese. Well, okay, well, they found it. And they were fine. They found the plentiful place, the place where it was in abundance. They had to walk through some stuff to get to it. They probably went in the corner that was a dead end that had nothing. They had to backtrack and go around until eventually they found it. But they found it. But... Him and Haw, the two little humans in that analogy, when they got to their one little station where their cheese was, whatever that driving force was that they were after, they got arrogant. They got a sense of entitlement. I don't have to move. This cheese just appeared here. I'm good right here. It'll, it'll replenish itself. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go nowhere. So I can just stay right here. I can become complacent where I'm at, and I don't have to worry about anything because you know what? When I get hungry, I've still got this little supply right here. I don't have to grow no further. I'm good right here. Well, one day they woke up, and they hadn't noticed mold on certain places of the cheese. They hadn't noticed decay taking place. One day they woke up, it was gone. And one of them outburst, who moved my cheese? Now, obviously, they didn't get an answer. They didn't get some big booming voice. It's over here. They were stuck. And they was like, you know what? One of them said, it'll, it'll come back. It's been here all this time. We don't have to move. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone. I can stay right here. 
because I'm entitled to this, so it's got to come back. And I can stay here and be complacent. I don't have to grow or move any further because this is a safe place here, and I'm a, it's going to come back. Well, it didn't. So Hall decided, you know what? I can't stay here. It's not safe. What I'm needing is no longer here. So I've got to venture out of my comfort zone. I've got to move forward a little bit. And he found a little crumble of cheese, that thing he was He found just enough. And he went running back, told um, him, he said, look, we found some. Let's just keep moving. There's a trail, so obviously something more. So, uh, no, 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 I'm not leaving, the other one said. I'm staying right here because you know what? I'm entitled to this. I get my participation trophy. It's coming back. Well, Paul said, you can do that if you want to. i got to move on. And he kept moving on. And as he was journeying through this maze, trying to find that supply of that thing that he was chasing the most, he wrote on the wall of that maze, what would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? And it got me to thinking, what would you do if you weren't afraid? It's like someone I was talking to tonight made the, made the remark, you know, it's that first step is always the scariest. But after that first step, it's always, it gets easier each step that you take. So that got me to thinking, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Because I did some research and I did some reading and I chased a few rabbit trails for the past couple weeks. And I found this one thing and it said this, it said, fear is one of the enemy's most popular weapons he uses against us. Worry, anxiety, fear can overwhelm us with a thick shadow of darkness that controls our every move, our every thought, our every decision. the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or a, or growing old alone. A vast different things, but something that you can fixate on that will drive you up the wall if you let it. But yet the reality tells us much of what we spend so much time worrying about, being fearful of, Kind of like how George Meyer says, you're in a rocking chair. You're moving back and forth, but you're not going nowhere. Worry and fear is not going to take you anywhere. It's going to rob you of today's joy, but it won't take you anywhere. And half the stuff we spend so much time rocking back and forth thinking, well, how am I going to pay this? Or my kids have got to get into this school, and my son's got to get this scholarship. He's a shoe-in, or, or I've got to get this paid off here. You're just in constant motion doing nothing. And the reality of it is half that stuff that we spend so much time being scared, and I'm preaching to the choir. I battle fear a lot. Half that stuff that we spend so much time letting the enemy plague us with, it never happens. It's not even a blimp on God's radar for our lives, but yet we'll let it consume us. And then the enemy's got us distracted from what God wants us to do over here. So... I was out and about tonight before service got started, and I started asking some questions. I'd walk up to who just ever, whoever just got in my path 
first. I'd ask him a question. I said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? After I got deer in the headlights, Luke was like, man, that's a hard question. But I was like, the first thing that occurs to you, the first thing that pops in your head, what would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do for Jesus if you weren't afraid? All right, I got stuff from singing in front of a large crowd because they had never done it before. Base jumping, and in case any of you ever wonder what base jumping is, is you put on this little suit suit with a pair of wings attached to it, and then you jump off a building. I have no desire to do that, none whatsoever, but this individual did. Okay, witnessing to the hugest guy on campus at the UA. Um, cage diving with sharks. I do that, but I'm not jumping off no building. Um, parasailing. One person said, I'd do everything if I wasn't afraid. Some even said cliff diving. Mm -mm. Hang gliding. All right, then I started going, what would you do for Jesus? If you wasn't afraid, if you wasn't afraid of ridicule, if you wasn't afraid of rejection, if you wasn't afraid of somebody saying, you're going to fall flat on your face if you try that, what would you do? One of the young youth I asked thought about it for a second, and the reply was this. They said, if I wasn't afraid, I'd go to North Korea for Jesus, and I'd take the gospel if I wasn't afraid. And one person looked over, and they said, like, yeah, you got a death wish. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, like Dick Broden said, live day. And it was an interesting conversation, but there was no right or wrong answer to this. It was just me getting PowerPoints for tonight's message. I had one person, you know, they'd walk up in convenience stores to random people and just start witnessing anything like pastor does. I had one that said that they would witness to every lost person without a second's hesitation. I had one that said, you know what, I would obey Jesus the first time he told me to do something. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm done after that one because conviction hit me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm guilty of that one. I'm like, God, are you sure you told me to do that? I had some that said, you know what, make every conversation a spiritual one. Lead a worship service in a large venue. Go to Denny Chimes with a big old sign holding it up saying, you know what, Jesus loves you. That was some of the replies I got. But what would you do if you weren't afraid? And then it got me thinking, why are we afraid anyway? Because it's like, I can't remember who said it, but I think I might have heard it Miss Karen and Mr. Jim's Sunday school class. I'm not real sure. But I do remember this phrase, you are, nobody can touch you until God's done with you. Nobody can hurt you. Nobody can kill you until God is through with you. So I'm like, what, what am I? What am I so afraid of? What the person next to me is going to think? What my peers may think? People I work with, my family, my friends. Don't get me wrong, I value their opinion. Because they've got me out of some, they've, they've reeled me back in. But in the long and the short of it, it's God's say-so that matters more than anything else. Because if God tells me to go through it, it might be rough sailing at the beginning, but he's going to get me through to the other side, regardless of what i got to deal with in front of me. Because that's all I'm going to see. I'm not going to see what's out there yet until I get out of the boat or until I get off the shore and I start venturing out. I started chasing rabbits again. But in Isaiah, 
the 41st chapter, verses 9 through 10, says this, and I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says, I took you from the ends of the earth. From the farthest corner I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I was like, well, I have no reason just reading that one scripture alone. I'm like, okay, God, I have no reason to be fearful of anything. But God, I'm fearful of a lot. And then I did some more research and I hit up some commentaries and it told me this. It said, this scripture is directed to the children of Israel of which we are a part. Out of all people, God has a calling for each of us, a mission, a reason to live, something to accomplish, and he has chosen you and will not cast you away. It goes on to say, God will help us to accomplish our individual purpose in life, and we shouldn't be scared, not just of physical challenges and obstacles, but we also shouldn't be afraid that it's too late or that God has passed us by. We shouldn't be afraid that we can't live up to his expectations Whatever the challenge, it is still there for us. And God still offers his help and his hand. This last verse is incredible and brings to the image to the mind strongly of a God as, as good as our God. I'm getting, let me reread that. I'm getting ahead of myself. This last verse is incredible and brings the image to mind strongly of God as our good, best, perfect friend taking our hand to help us through the challenges that we face. No matter how tough things get, he is a friend that will never abandon us, never deviate from helping us, from being there when we need a hand to hold. I like the words from the second verse. Strengthen, help, uphold. No matter what we need, even if we are failing, falling on the job, as it were, God is there to hold us up, to help us, to strengthen us, to help us prevail and succeed in our life's mission. And knowing all of that, I said, God, what's holding me back? As a church body, what's holding us back? That one verse tells me that if God's for me, what the, what the world says can't touch me. Because God's word, God's mission, God's purpose is going to prevail. It's going to go forth. And as scared as I get, or as fearful as I get, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to be left. And it was weird. We were on vacation this past week. And I was thinking about tonight knowing that I had to speak here. And I was like, God, I said, I've got all this in my head. It's not making sense. I've got to get it on paper. You've got to give me something. Okay, I'm sitting on the beach. It's a beautiful day. My kids are playing. And, and he's like, okay, we want to go on the water. So I said, okay. So we suit them up in their little life vests. We get out there. And they went out there but a minute, right when they take a step in and get good and, good and about ankle, above ankle deep, the waves come rushing into the shore, and they get knocked down. 
They didn't think it was as funny as their dad and I thought it was. But we picked them up and we helped them along. And they was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, this, this isn't no good. We're getting knocked down. And their dad looked at them. The further out you go, the less rough it is. You just got to get through this little part right here. But once you move on out, the water's calmer. And he ventured out a little bit, and all you could see was the top of his neck. But he was standing, he's like, see? Now, Seth is my cautious son. He's like, mm I'm not having it. He said, Mom, it's time to go build sand castles. I'm not doing this. And he was done. I knew it. He done come out of his life fast. He got back up on the sand a little He said, I'm, I'm not doing this. Then Elise kind of looked back at Seth, and she looked back at her daddy, and she looked at me. And then she kind of put, put her hand on her hip and said, you know what? I'll go out there but I'm only going to go with my daddy, and I'm only going to go if he'll hold me. I'm like, well, that put me in my place. So daddy comes back into shore, picks her up, and I go sit under the little awning, and Seth and I are building sandcastles. When he gets her that, he starts burying my feet in the sand. We had a good old time. I look up, and all you can see is the top of their heads out there in the ocean, waving and smiling. You can hear them giggling, and you can hear them laughing. And then I just thought, and God just kind of hit me with this thought, Nor, how many times have you let what you first saw stop you from venturing out? And I just sat there for a minute, and I said, I don't know. He said, how many times have you let fear of somebody saying, you can't do that? God wouldn't call you for that. How many times have you let that fear paralyze you and stop you right where you stood? At the first rough wave that knocked you down, instead of getting back up and trying again, you backed off. Because you were too concerned about getting rejected or, well, what if they don't like me? I'm like, but God, all that's true. And he's like, but who cares? And I got thinking, I said, okay, God, I said, so what do you want me to do? And then he brought to my attention this, this evangelist speaker that I love listening to, Joyce Meyer. Her testimony is nothing short of amazing, and it shows just how powerful God is when you get out of the way and let him take over. But when God revealed to her what he wanted her to do, it wasn't all, it wasn't all roses. It wasn't all coming up daisies for her when she made this reveal. I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to go preach to the world. I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to go do this. Because some of these people knew what she came from. Some of these people knew Joyce Meyer's life story. And they ridiculed her. It was like, please. Ain't no... She even made their mark. They said, you sound too much like a guy when you talk. Ain't nobody going to hire you to come speak. This is... And she lost her job at the church she worked at. Where she attended, they fired her behind that. And I got thinking, I was like, Nora, what would she be doing right now if she'd have let those people stop her? I'm like, well, we wouldn't have Joyce Meyer. He said, that's it. So, I've learned that I can let the what ifs drive me up the wall. What if I get some incurable disease? What if I get ridiculed? 
What if I get rejected? What if my so-called friends walk away? Okay. But knowing that God has got me called and has got me right where he wants me is so much bigger than any fearful what if I can conjure up. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can conjure up a lot of them. The enemy had me crippled for a long time that I was so busy being scared and fearful of losing the greatest, some of the greatest gifts God ever blessed me with, my son and my daughter, that I was so scared of losing them that I could not enjoy being their mother because I was scared that anything that happened, that I would lose them. And you can't live that way. It's the same in ministry. I never thought I'd be here, I tell you that. I'd have laughed at you a few years ago. I'd have said, no, you have lost your mind. God did, uh uh-uh. I'll stay in the back of the back doing what I always do. And the same fears. I'm not going to be liked. I'll get picked on. I'll get ridiculed. I'll get rejected. Well, so what? Because I've learned one thing. God doesn't tell a lie. He never has. He won't start with me, and he's not going to start with you. If God called me to it, he's obviously going to bring me through it because anything he's, his word's not going to return unto him void. So then I got to hunt, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to find some scriptures on this. And I left my study Bible at home, so I hit good old Google. And I found the Bible website that I usually go to, Gateway and whatever. I said, scriptures on not being afraid. And, and I knew it was mentioned every 365 times in the Bible. I'm like, I don't have all night to go through all 365 of them, but I'm going to find a few of them and. I found a few of them. In Joshua 1, 9, it says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isaiah 43, 1 says this, But now, this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I'm his. You're his. And if we're his, there ain't a demon big enough to touch us if we're in his will. Psalms 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Not some of them. All of them. Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 2 Timothy 1.7 For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Psalm 115.11 You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not 
fear or terrified. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Chronicles 28.20 David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the services of the temple of the Lord is finished. Isaiah 41 and 13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says, do not fear. I will help you. And then 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That perfect love, that unconditional love, that only Jesus Christ can give drives all of that away. There's many times and I'm pretty sure there'll be many more after tonight. God, I'm scared. God, I take that back. I'm terrified. What if I don't... What if I don't live to see my kids right? That's a big fear of mine. What if I don't live a life that's pleasing to you? What if I make it to glory? And then then I see all these things I missed. Like Joey told one time, she told us a story about this person that made it to heaven. I can't remember all of it. This is just what really sticks out to me. This person said, you know what, God, I made it in. I'm here. I made it. God looked at this person and kind of looked behind them and said, you know what, that's good, but who did you bring with you? There was nobody behind that individual. Not even one. Who did you bring with you? And I've asked myself that question a lot of times. I'm like, God, I don't want you to say that me. I want to know somewhere in my walk with you I might not know it here but when I get there I want to know that my life here made a difference not for me God but for you and for your kingdom I want to know that my life made a difference and that it impacted others for you that because of something somebody heard me say or a prayer, somebody heard me pray that somewhere somebody gave their life to you that was on a straight way to hell. God, I don't care if I don't get a big venue. God, I don't care if my name is not on lights. God, I don't care about it. I just want my life to matter for Him. 
for his kingdom. And don't you dare think you're too old or you're too young or it's too late because all three of them are lies. It's never too late. You're not too old. You're not too young. God don't operate that way. Thank God. Everybody has their own mission field, their own place that God can use you like he can't use no other. The question is, will you let him? What would you do for him if you weren't afraid? I remember when I first got saved, I thought I could storm the biggest gate in hell and pull every sinner out. And I made that my mission. And I learned real quick, sometimes it always don't work that way. But there's a process. Some people have to plant. Some people come behind you in water. And then God, when he's ready, he gets that person and he meets them right where they're at, right, in, right where they're at. And me, it was a mess beyond compare. But all the people that planted into my life before I got saved, all the people that came behind that and watered it one night when I was 19 years old, I was a wreck and mess and I was bound for nowhere good and God met me right where I was at in a little Pentecostal church in Forest, Mississippi. Now, I haven't gotten it all right since then. I've made a few blunders along the way. I'm human. But after this little time away and after researching all this and after praying and seeking God, I'm like, you know what? I want more. I want more of God. I want him to use me more for him. And whether if it's volunteering at my kids' school or if it's at a place where I clean, or if it's at the gym or if it's at a Starbucks, I don't want to be afraid to say, you know what, Jesus loves you and there's no pit so deep that his love's not deeper still. I serve a risen Savior. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? If there's anyone here tonight that's battled that kind of fear that it grips you to where you feel like you're paralyzed, I really believe God wants to break that off of you. Because God don't want us to live in fear of any kind. He wants to give us a life in abundance to where it's overflowing. God didn't die for us to be miserable. He didn't send his son for us to live in misery and fear. He didn't send his son for that. He sent us to have a life. A life that we serve him in, but a great life. Now, yes, there will be hard times along the way. But we're to count that joy. And we've got that promise that he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I'll stick closer to you than a brother. And Isaiah, I believe it says, you're in the palm of my hand, and he's going to pluck you out. Now, I'm not quoting that word for word, but I just know what's in there, and I know what's in Isaiah. But I'll do this like I do my kids every Sunday morning out there in children's church. If this has spoke to you, if this has touched you, and you feel like, you know what, God, I, I might have, I think I've let fear rule me a little bit too long. 
or God, I've been away from you a little bit too long and it's time for me to get my house in order. Come. That's a beautiful place. God's love is never ending and so is his mercies and his grace. You come. You can find your place. It's like I tell my kids, find your place. Tuck down. Pray. God will meet you right where you're at. If anyone needs prayer tonight, I would love to pray for you. That's one of the things I love doing out there with my kids in Children's Church, seeing those sweet little kids getting into that age that I need more of God and not what my buddy next to me says. And then when you see one of those small kids going over and laying their hands on another small child and praying over them, that God would touch them greatly. That's just amazing getting to watch that. But I'm going to um, close in prayer.